from the twisted realm of science and the darkest pits of reason comes chilling tales of godlessness. Bear witness to the unfathomable terror that is... The Good Atheist. Welcome to The Good Atheist Podcast. My name is Jacob Forte. And I'm Ryan Harkness. Today the show is a repeat of yes of two days ago when we did this show and I did not properly record it. And uh, now we have to start over. That's pleasant. That happens like once a year. It fucking sucks. Yeah, and this one's on you, buddy. This it is on, on you. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm normally the person who's responsible for, co- for recording everything. So when I forget to, you know, <clears throat> hit the record button or something horrible goes wrong, even if it's not your fault, you always still maintain some of the blame for, for when a show just disappears. You know, you know that it's just basically carelessness. That's what it is. You just said, oh, well, you lined up all your little ducks, you went through your ceremony, but you took it for granted, and then you fucked up. It's kind of like, you ever wonder why so many of those people carry dynamite into those mines in the old days, trying to build the fucking railroad, why they got dynamited? And I bet you a lot of these motherfuckers had a lot of experience, but what they didn't realize was that it's just after a while you get careless with everything, even dynamite, man, and that's just dangerous. So... Not that this is dynamite. This is more like, well, just you had a rehearsal. So I guess this is what acting must feel like or something. And it's, it is unpleasant. Yeah, so, you know, this is this is show number 300, but it's really show number 301. Show number 300 was lost. It was gone. Yeah, it never really happened. It, it just, it was a lengthy two-hour conversation. We managed to make a beast, too. It was a motherfucking beast. I'm surprised I managed to rope you in this long. And by the end of it, I was even dreading editing it. I'm like, oh, man, i got to edit it in one day. That thing's a monster. And then all of a sudden I go look at it and uh, realize, oh, there is none. Well, I guess I'm dreading a whole new thing now. <laughs> now, I guess we should probably start the show off by explaining why all of a sudden we're magically at 300 episodes. It's true because if you're a newbie, and you're going to, which is probably a lot of people considering, you know, like the, the growth rate. So if you're a newbie, you're going to notice that if you listen to this one show and say, oh, okay, this is episode 300. The last show before that was episode 199 and a half, which is an odd number, I know. And you'll notice also that if you go through the archive, which I've rearranged all of the shows, there's a bunch of shows that have like the half number in it. The integer, if you want. He has the fraction well, the reason it has a fraction is because we did the bonus show thing for a long time, remember? But that was like a hundred shows that were locked down, n- never part of the official count. And I'm, you know, I'm sorry, but I don't want to put up with that. I want my fucking podcast dick to be the size that it's supposed to be. You know what? I'm going to shave off the pubes a little bit. It's going to be real confusing. But when you see this beast, you're going to be like, wow, 300. That's what it is. In fact... It's not even 301. This is probably actually episode 311. But it, the, it was so messy that I decided, well, at least it'll somewhat make more sense. Just a tiny little bit. I'll be like, fuck it. We'll even ignore it because I think there's one episode that I that's still lost. That I don't know which one it is. There's so many. I don't even have time to fucking archive it properly. So, so numbers are arbitrary. Don't think too much about them. 
Uh, but we, the numbers are good, all right? We're not lying. It's not like we're just saying, oh, we're going to just skip 100 episodes every once in a while just for shits and giggles. It's not like Paul Reiser's book where we just, you know, your first page is at page 137. That's like, an odd reference. Have you been reading Paul Reiser's book? I have. Uh, well, I didn't realize that I had already read Paul Reiser's book, but I had been doing research on Paul Reiser himself because I've been I watched... Well, I didn't just watch. I pounded through Mad About You. I pounded that. This is more disturbing than the time you watched Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> you know what, though? Here's the thing. Mad About You, I, starting, I, I really started to get because it was a cartoon example of me and Carissa's couple. It was scary. The, the Jamie character is so much like Carissa when she's mad. I had a... Miniature sort of like freak out. So we were just essentially watching our couple on TV. That's what Mad About You was. That's why we pounded right through it. Okay, that's a, that's a, that's a semi-reasonable. Uh, I, I was just thinking, you know, there are better things out there to watch uh, in the world. Just but It really depends on where you are in your life, though, because I'm in that whole early marriage phase. Because even though we're, we're not technically married, believe me, it's exactly the same. It's just that we didn't go get that piece of paper because we need to get all of our family from everywhere to come together. And they're scattered all over Canada, like the largest country on Earth. So, you know. Don't let the government tell you what your relationship is like. (laughs) Well, you kind of have to, actually, because in a lot of places, if you don't let the government decide, your relationship has no status, and that could be really bad. So... Just play the fucking system, you little bitch. Don't be a little bitch. There's a, there's advantages. There's disadvantages, but there's advantages. And you know what? The disadvantages you can be smart about. You can talk to your partner and be an adult. You know, you can write your own contract. That's the thing. Government doesn't decide your contract. You do. Girls love it when you're completely logical and practical about things like marriage. The fucking good ones are, trust me. They're out there. They're out there, I promise you. Reason. Right. They're not Reason, all fellow stere- atheists. They're not this stereotype. You know, I think that's tired. We treat everybody like these stereotypes, and we're surprised when they act like it. I mean, People are reasonable and intelligent, can, can be reasoned with. You just you, All you have to do is not fall for regular emotional traps that all of us fall into. Do you know what I mean? We have those. It can be something like, uh, I don't know, a trigger word. Somebody calls you. They say you're just like your mother. Oh my God! You know, that could be a trigger word. Makes you all emotional and you forget about reason. But it is possible to catch yourself and be like, Oh, I'm getting emotional. Step back. Take some time. Maybe everybody should have a conversation in like super slow mo. You don't have the time to get emotional. Hello, my name. <laughs> I'm not gonna finish that. That's too long. <laughs> That was terrible. Even that was too fast. That would have really slowed it down. Maybe I'll do some special effects and stuff. Because this show is going to be on the DVD. It's the last show from the DVD that's going to be free. Because after that, we're going to lock it down and uh, sell it as a product. It's going to be fun. Yeah, the DVD is uh, it's pretty exciting. That's coming out soon, right? That is coming out soon. In fact, what's happening is that next week, there's going to be no show. No shows whatsoever. Because I have to just wrap it up and... If I if I do the DVD and I have to also record shows, I just dread doing both. It's weird. Like I can only concentrate on one thing at a time. I just don't want to 
work on the DVD looking back and then have to look forward to new things to start shows. It's just, I cannot do both. Both cannot be done. So I have to just sort of take another week, just pound this out, this bitch. This is great because hopefully this is going to be a nice beefy show, nice entertaining show if you care about the show itself because it's not going to be on atheism generally. It's going to be a really reflective show. In a sense, almost my interview with Ryan or maybe even conversely Ryan's interview with me. Oh, shit. It's getting meta. It's getting meta. Yeah, it's going to be really internal. So I apologize for anybody who is sort of like, I really like the interviews, not so much these types of shows. And I'm like, well, I guess you're not going to fucking like the DVD then. (laughs) Because it's going to be a lot of this stuff. It's for the fans. It's for the fucking people who care. So today, we're going to be giving you the scope of what it was like behind the scenes recording. Because there was kind of different phases you know, everything has its its different stage. You know, there's that early part, there's the middle part, there's the later part. This is a typical narrative that I think everybody likes. So we're going to try to go with this narrative. I think it fits. I don't know if it's necessarily the truth, because that would be a really long podcast. But I think that we're going to give, like, we're going to try to be as honest as possible, right? We're not going to try to sugarcoat it too much? Yeah, sure. And maybe for uh, for those of you who might be considering, you know, trying to take the launch off into doing their own kind of, uh, I don't know, their own kind of anything, their own kind of whatever the fuck it is that we're doing, whatever it is that, you know, people just going out, getting onto the internet and trying to spread messages or, or promote themselves or, or trying to get up there, how how we did it, how they, maybe they can do it, if they so choose to do it, the, the difficulties of doing it, the realities of doing it, I think, uh, you know, from that, it's going to be a, definitely a behind-the-curtain type show. Yeah, and I think that we'd be doing everybody a favor by being honest about it. It's the good parts and the fucking bad parts. Because it's, you know, it's understanding its reality is, is probably the most important thing. But beyond that, there is I think there is another element that speaks um, far more meta than even us examining our own show. And that is people who have emotionally empathized with... The struggle of the good atheists, of both the show, both of myself, uh, in this endeavor, because n- none of this stuff is easy. It, it's not easy. That's why a lot of people do not do this. It's the honest truth. It's just not fucking easy. But I think that in that realm, like I've ha- I have received lots of letters from people who have said that, oh, you know, I decided to do this crazy thing that I decided, uh, you know, I wasn't sure. I, I had the courage to do, but when you really sort of laid it out there, I looked at myself and I decided to do kind of the same thing. So those experiences shared are important to other people. So we're going to try to share those experiences and hopefully reach those individuals. Use this in the show. I still do your podcast. I don't do my podcast all that much. You know, partially it's because you're not around and it was it was something that we did together and uh, and you know, our fandom together was a big part of of why I enjoyed doing the show, but another part of it is I'm, you know, relentlessly critical. Yeah, relentlessly critical. I find it ridiculous that people listen to the things that we say and and give a damn about uh, what we're up to and uh, and what our thoughts are. Going around uh traveling and and having good atheist fans in different cities say, let's get together and hang out, and you sit down with them, and they're microbiologists, and they're scientists, and they're, they're geniuses, basically. Right. And they intimidated you with your educational penises. Oh, not just their educational penises. They're obviously extremely smart. Uh, you know, I'm just a mouth breather. So, and, and that is my role on the show, even. Like, you know, I'm not even the smart one <laughs> on, on this podcast. I'm the foil. Yeah, exactly. 
No one has ever said that you weren't smart, and I don't think anybody there believes that. I, I think we just have to eliminate our concept of what we consider intelligent. I mean, does a person use strong or, or powerful language just to appear smart? Are they really saying anything intelligent, insightful? I don't know if we've necessarily defined intelligence in, in the right way. I think some elements are still missing in that formula, you know what I mean? But intuitively, uh, you know, you, you won't let me get away with it, with shit, so we'll give you at least the benefit of that doubt. And people definitely appreciate when you call me out on stuff, so you need, need to do that even more, and then you will be ingratiated. Because maybe some people even listen because they hate my voice or something, maybe. I'll tell you the truth. Back back in the beginning, it was easier to disagree with a lot of the stuff that you were saying because you were a lot more wild and crazy and controversial and just flippant about really controversial uh, opinions. So you, you've kind of uh, that's something that I've noticed over 300 episodes is that uh, I mean every time, and this happens a lot. Atheists when they not even when they start out, but all throughout your atheist experience, a topic is going to come up. You're going to turn it around. Your brain is going to play with it like a toy. And then when you talk about it, you're basically like dropping an anchor down and kind of staking out your spot on this idea. And when you do that, that isn't static. As time goes on, you think about that more and you're always developing. And this is the way that, you know, uh, rational, reasonable people think and develop thoughts and ideas. So over the years, we've talked about so much and we've gone through so many topics that it's only natural that you've thought over and discarded many of your more quackish theories. The whole experience, really, of editing the DVD so far, because it really did force me to go back and look at which episodes from everybody were really just foundational. And that's not always a good thing for me, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Some of you guys' best shows are my worst. I swear to you, I'm like, oh, you mushmouth fuck. I can't even correct you. I can't even re-record you. It wouldn't even be worth it. Uh, whatever. The truth is, I mean, you're right. I think I have the same element of self-criticism as you do. I just finished the Freedom From Religion Foundation artwork, and you know, they flipped out. They were like, this is unbelievable, and I was just, you know, by then I had become so tired of the image that all I could see were the crappy parts that I didn't draw right. I'm like, well, if you look at it for an extended period of time, you will see them, and I did not like that. <laughs> you just got to put it out there. Yeah, it's anything that you work too long on. By the time you're done with it, you've gone from being excited and uplifting about it to just being really down on it and not happy with it. And all you see is the differences between what you imagined it would be and how it actually turned out. We're all like that. I mean, there are occasional times where I'll put something out and I'll put it up online and then I'll just look at it over and over and over again because I'm just pleased as a pig in shit that it came out exactly the way I want. But most of the time, especially on those ones that are a bit harder to give birth to, I am just wholly critical of, like, after the first time we went through this show, episode 300, take one, it was hard that night not to, like, jump onto the computer and be like, hey, take this part, that part, and that part out, please. I like how you had that impulse. I definitely do. I have that impulse every time. And again, it's why I don't listen to, to the podcasts. <laughs> I don't go back and check them out. It's too much for me. Well, there's some people that are just, you know, even actors that are like that. Helena Bonham Carter has never seen any of her own films. She refuses to. She's never seen them. She doesn't realize how terrible she's looking in these movies then. I would honestly suggest that she take a look now. It's time for you to take a look. And plus, I got to say, here's the thing. I can understand it in one of those romantic ways. Oh, yeah, I totally get you. But at the same time, look, the eye of the artist that sees the flaws is the same eye that can correct them eventually, that can get the fucking line right. Right? That could say, right, you have to look at your failure. That's the way you learn.
just try to juggle and not drop the ball. You know what I mean? You're gonna drop. It's gonna be so many drops. The problem is that yeah, when you do the kind of stuff that we do, you're actually forced for a living to relive. All of these moments. It'd be like the juggler while having to watch a video of him and paying attention to every goddamn drop. So you're going to focus on that. Of course, that's your job. But what you don't realize is that every time you go there and you see that, you're really chiseling whatever it is that you've created or even the skills that you're building. You're chiseling. You're refining it. That's just how we get. We learn from our failures. We should even celebrate our failures. We should just understand that they're a part of us, a part of the learning process. And instead of being critical... I think that we should be uplifted that at least we can see that part of ourselves and feel wrong because then we know we're doing something right, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah, well, I'm happy doing the whole tortured artist thing, right? I'm <laughs> or it works for me. Yeah, it's really working out for you. You know what though? You you don't have the look of it. Could you please just change your look and really just go for the stereotype, dude, because if you're going to embrace it, embrace it hard. Are you suggesting that I become like a goth or something like that? No, no. I think that you should just be a French nihilist. Wear berets, eat baguettes, go to coffee houses and things of that nature. So I think that's just what you think snooty French people do. It has nothing to do with the nihilist <laughs> part. Has it not come back? Because I think that you could be a morose beatnik if it kind of re-emerges. It may take another ten years. Maybe that's when the beatniks will come back. I don't know. I'd, I'd rather consider myself an early generation web personality. <laughs> Whatever the fuck that is, how that works. I know. I think the problem is that you were emo way too late. You know, you would have been great in the emo scene. Look at it like this. 300 shows. I mean, for me, I've been doing my web stuff for six years now. It was a six-year anniversary in September of my website. You started yours a couple months before I did. Yours was right on your birthday, right, that you started it when you registered the domain? Yep. Yeah. It was my birthday present to myself was my website. I did it a few months later in the month of April, I think, is when I did it. So you had six months on it. The way that everything kind of began, because I don't know if we've really gone over this in detail. It's probably smatterings here and smatterings there, but I guess it's this. On this show, it will be the official. How did it all begin? Well, six years ago. Let's travel back in that time machine. Pre-fucking economic crisis world. Just to set people up, my website, fightlinker.com, is an ultimate fighting comedy website, basically, where I talk shit and make fart jokes about ultimate fighters. And a little while later, Jake started his, and then I started a podcast, and I needed somebody to do it with. So the arrangement that we made, or that Jake suggested, was that he'll do mine if I do his. And that sounds extremely dirty. I know, it's a tit-for-tat thing, and even that sounds dirty. Yeah, it did. There's a tit-tit in there. What's that What's that about? And some tats? You know, that that tatas, yeah. Tit-for-tatas. So that's basically how it started. And, you know, I want to take a little bit of credit here. You are a man of many ideas, and I think the reason that the good atheist managed to, like, stay going, at least in the beginning, was because it was payment for something that was set more in stone. So you were getting your tat out of my tit, so, therefore, every week, it was just a natural thing that we'd go ahead and do it. It was a natural partnership because you were always the better grinder. You had been managing raves for, what, how many, eight years before then or something crazy? Yeah, something like that. It was a long time. Managing these kinds of giant parties is no fucking joke. You have to wear so many motherfucking hats, you know, like the level of responsibility. And it's just the riskiness of the whole thing. You know, you'd have to have some balls, too. My problem was I lacked... The grinding, I like the motherfucking balls to just go ahead and commit to something. And that's the things that you sort of like helped 
you know, instill in me, I think, through our friendship. I sort of like try to leech off that ability and be like, all right. And in exchange, what I'll do is that I will feed you with my relentless fucking bag of ideas that keep popping out of my fucking head. And also encourage my ridiculous ideas because you were the one that in the beginning encouraged me to start thinking of this as a once it once it picked up and it we started getting thousands of people coming a day to my site and the podcast was up above a thousand people per listen too. That was when you started saying you need to start thinking about this as a career. I had already wanted to do stuff online. I had tried a whole bunch of other web projects years before, even with our mutual friend Ben back in the day. Do you remember Man Landers? Do you remember that? I do remember Manlanders. This was a website back. We wanted to just rival. What was the website that we were basically trying to rip off? Do you remember? I'm not sure, but the best way to describe what Manlanders was was trying to be was kind of like a not not quite like cracked, but kind of like a crack type site. Just humorous, interesting articles about various things. What year was that again? Oh God, that was that was near the beginning. 1999. Yeah, that was that was late 90s. That was late 90s. <laughs> That was really early on where just the struggle, I was doing all the graphic design in it, and uh, I'm actually kind of glad that I don't think I have any of the graphics left. I still remember what many of them look like. Just, wow. The internet in the 90s, people. <laughs> Squares, let's just say that. And then there was uh, then there was Darware. That wasn't exactly the sequence. There was that, and then after that, I had kind of tried to start a web design company with my buddy Carlos, and he ended up starting his own computer company from it because at the time nobody wanted fucking web design. They were like, well, you know, I don't know if I should pay $500 for a website because I don't know if the Internet's going to be a thing in the future. So clearly everybody was really thinking ahead. Well, you know, when there were so few people using it and it was dial-up and it was – at the beginning, I can understand. There had to be a tipping point in the Internet where all of a sudden all of the information was on it or going to be on it. But at the beginning, nothing was on it. So occasionally you'd find – Something. I mean, for God's sakes, Yahoo used to be like a, a manually updated, here's interesting stuff. So y- Yahoo started out basically as a kind of uh, directory curated by a blogger. Yeah, well, you know, how, you know how AOL started? They started as a gaming company for Atari to play multiplayer on, you know, BBS systems. That's, that's how they started. That's how AOL began. Multiplayer for the Atari. I remember the ads. Those were the ads that made me want to get onto the internet. It's like, come on AOL and play this dungeon crawler game. I'm like, oh god, it's so cool. And then I did. The games are just awful, terrible. This whole idea that you could play with other people, a total lie. Yeah, just impossible. All right, you're going to have to dial into my thing. Here's the number and the prefix, and then you have to connect, and then maybe it's going to work, but neither of us have ever done any of this, and there's no real manual. What are the rules? They're just being invented as we speak. <laughs> it's like you could probably create a program that would help you out, but that's what you that's the level of uh, technical ability you need to make this shit work. So, yeah, not exactly the most attractive thing. You can see why they switched to uh, saying, like, well, we kind of figured out this Internet system thing a little bit. Let's see where it can take us. I remember back in the day when that was the big deal. Everybody had that stupid-ass CD. Yeah, that's when I was trying to make my web company. Well, you know, we might have been ahead of the time there, but I think that we got into the next websites, like Fightlinker and The Good Atheist, and then the podcast that came along. I think we got into those at the right time. The podcast thing, definitely. We latched on right when podcasts were just exploding. There was relatively few. Like, how many are there now compared? I, I don't even want to imagine. It's fucking one popping up every week. Yeah, everybody and their dog has a podcast now. But does everybody have 300? Especially when they suspiciously, last episode, is 199 and a half? 
Uh, they're there, trust me. We've uh, we've recorded a lot of podcasts because in addition to the 300 that we did for Jake, we probably did somewhere around 200 to 300 for Fight Linker as well. Well, Fight Linker at the beginning was m- more the consistent one because when we when we did the thing full time, when I, when I convinced you to go and 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 do this enterprise on your own, I also decided I'm like, well, I'm gonna fucking help out. I'm gonna be the I, I can't exactly describe my role because I don't want to say producer. Because that's not what I did. Cheerleader, I guess? I don't know. I don't know. Partner. Partner works. Partner. Right. Partner works. When you're doing an enterprise like that, especially when it's a startup, doing it alone, I can't imagine, you know, thinking back on doing it alone right now for Good Atheist, I realize I could not have done that. It would have been impossible. I'm the million ideas guy moving on from one thing to the next, and I would have just been that kind of guy that would have just done that maybe in his warehouse forever in a comfortable fucking job. Luckily... I always believed that you should chase fucking opportunities. So I was never too comfortable. Like, I was pretty ambitious, so I think that luckily it helped. But as we were starting to work together and trying to get more involved in each other's projects, because Ryan needed me to get involved with mixed martial arts, which until then I had not really watched. Maybe a couple fights here and there, but, I mean, generally speaking, I did not know shit. And I needed to be a co-host on a show, not knowing anything. It's a, that's an interesting prospect. Yeah, and it was interesting going the other direction too, because even though I've been, I've I've never had even even when I was a child and taken to church, I was always like, this is bullshit, and, and not in any kind of loud, obnoxious way by any means. Just to say, just to, I knew, uh, you know, my aunt would buy me these like Bible story books, and I would read them, and I would really enjoy them, but uh, they were they were just as fictitious as my Dragonlance books, and I always recognized that. So it was it was interesting, uh, you know, having just a very passive atheist opinion about everything, just in that, of course, God doesn't exist, to starting to really get into the nitty-gritty of it all. And definitely I grew as an atheist because if you're not – we all know those people, those on-the-fence people who don't even want to admit that they're atheists, even though they are agnostics. Sure. <laughs> I'm going to slap you in the face, motherfucker. Yeah, seriously. It's like, oh, geez, that whole Jesus thing, that could be real. That, that's a perfectly legit, legitimate reason for us to be uh, shaping public policy because Jesus is real. Uh, yeah, thanks, agnostics. You guys are really helping out. Thanks for the assist uh, right there. Really appreciate it. <laughs> but, you, don't, you know, that's the kind of thing that you don't realize until you start to get involved and you start to see that when you start doing news shows, four or five uh, crazy incidents of, of religious overstepping or outrage. So that was, uh, that was very interesting. Fortunately, you are a, uh, a walking encyclopedia of information. So you generally made it pretty easy for me to just, uh, you know, kind of sit in the, the passenger seat and uh, comment on the scenery as we drove through your, your atheistic knowledge. Well, it's funny because in, in many respects, I, I was capitalizing on you know, the fact that if I was to tell you a story, I wanted you sometimes to not even fucking know what the story was about so that your reactions would be fucking genuine. I mean, it's not as though I would present you a, a general, like a, a specific story in a situation that you probably knew generally because it's not as though you don't go out and read articles and have your own fucking opinions about stuff. It's just that you may not have specific information on, let's say, you know, a particular religious tribe and their, you know, and, and their conflict in uh, an area of Sudan. You know what I mean? This may not be the information right now that you've been studying. But nevertheless, you, I think you need that kind of almost like fish out of water. Here, let me present you something so that your outrage may be fresh 
So, I mean, I think that part of it was just feeding into that. And plus, you know, editing my own shows, I realize how much I do the talking. It's quite ridiculous. At least on your show, I had more discipline. So you were doing more of the talking. It was much more even. But on mine, it's like, woo! And sometimes, I think one of the one the one time it got 15 minutes in and not, not a word. Sounds about right. That's when you realize, like, you'd be able to not stop. Like seriously, if you could get, if you could crank me up with enough weed and beer, I think I could pull off a three hours without stopping, without even catching my breath. You'd be like, "What happened? I don't even know what happened." You wouldn't even remember what the hell I had just said. You would have just been, "Uh huh, uh huh." Actually, probably the reaction you have when you have the show, big, big, a bit of a, I don't know what just happened, but I feel good. Well, the dynamic between the two shows was always good because you know I hosted mine, you hosted yours. And then uh, the role of the, of the sidekick in it all was to, to keep it funny, keep it light, and kind of keep it moving, ask the questions that, you know, uh, you'd figure a listener would, would want to know the answers to and just let the other person with their, with their knowledge kind of fill it out. Because, like, I, I have an article smarts uh, when it comes to, to most of the topics. You know, I'll read that article about, oh, this... You know, uh, African witch story with uh, you know the guy, the uh, the whole penis stealing thing. You read that article and you you have a very shallow understanding of what's going on. While you, on the other hand, have you know many you, you've read books on it, you've seen documentaries, and and you remember it's once once that goes into your brain, it, it's it's in there, and you could just whip that shit out at any point in time. And uh, you know that's always been one of the the impressive things that I've noticed about you is that you soak up information like a sponge and it's all at your fingertips. You don't have a scumbag brain that just leaves you, that <laughs> just leaves you, you. hanging. Yeah. I, I, I read a book and like a couple weeks later, it's fucking gone. Like, uh, I, I've gone through, I've read a large number of atheist books, like all the Sam Harris ones and, uh, Daniel Dennett and a bunch of the other guys. I don't remember any of it, any, any, any of it. Like so many points when you're when you're reading the book and it's fresh in your mind, you've got all these ideas and, and concepts floating around that you're stringing together and doing interesting things with. And then, you know, about two or three weeks later, my brain's just like flush. <laughs> goodbye, goodbye, yeah, good, good, goodbye forever. We could be talking, uh, you know, about a, specifically about a book that I've read before, and I I wouldn't be able to really give you much information. I don't know. I'm a bit worried. Maybe I'm going to have Alzheimer's when I'm older. So. Well, at least you keep it pretty active. I mean, because here's the thing. People people have to appreciate the fact that Ryan is uh, – he's a, first of all, he's a, he's a good enough writer that professional writers are fans of his writing. So that's the first thing you should know about Ryan's writing. And he would never tell you this because he hates all his stuff. But, I mean, he can make a dick and fart joke feel fresh after six years. Six years in a small niche, in a niche of a niche, I exist. In a niche of a niche. He really, given any other topic that's even more fertile, because while the scene itself is fertile, it has a, its fertility is limited to a kind of subsection. He, he can't really f further explore the, the intricacies of these people's lives because they're simpletons in many respects. Well, I don't know if I'd agree with that, but there's definitely, you know, there's only so many angles that you're going to get from uh, stories that you're going to get when the, the general narrative is here's an event, there's 10 events a year, and there's a bunch of guys fighting each other on it. Every so often, someone will say something about, you know, something out in the real world, and I get to go out and I get to cover that and give my opinion on it. But for the most part, uh, you know, it's just guys beating each other up. So how many how many ways can you dress that up? So surprisingly many ways, apparently Ryan has found. It's true. Over uh, 15,000 posts. Here's the truth. 
it would have been impossible for me to actually have been your co-host if I had not had your website to read stuff from because it was really, you know, I had an RSS of other places because I needed to try to inform myself because there's, I mean, Ryan will testify to this and the reason why he says he doesn't like listening to the shows is that it sucks being wrong and knowing that thousands of people have heard how wrong you are. It hurts. I mean, did you see when Jon Stewart made a comment about it on The Daily Show? What, Jon Stewart was wrong? Take that back. <laughs> he was saying there was something about the um, the Electoral College could have allowed Mitt Romney to be president, but Joe Biden to be vice president. That's what his guest said. And meanwhile, Jon Stewart was like, no, that's not possible. So the next, the following day, he goes on, he's like, well, I just got to say that I was wrong, and there's no... Uh, there's no feeling like having been wrong in front of so many people. So you pay for all your wrongness. And you hope that you're not a giant jackass about it. But it is important for people to see our, you know, our own wrongness, of even people that you fucking respect. It's, you need to see your heroes fucking fall off all their faces and, and fart and, and be human because that way it takes a little bit of that pressure off. It's nice to have ideals. It's nice to strive for things. But it's also nice to just be realized that, hey, you're fucking human. You're going to make mistakes. And just don't make a big deal out about it. Everybody else is going to fucking probably forget about it anyways. Everybody's their own worst critic. And if you're not, you're probably like a psychopath. Really. Because, I mean, that's why we we have a conscience, right? The critic that's always there saying, like, why'd you do that, man? That was shitty. Like, when you think about something you did, oh, I said that to my friend. Why did I say that? Oh, I'm so shitty. If you don't have that, you're a psycho. You're a psycho. We talked about the early parts where we just started. So you quit your job. This is uh, early 2008, right? This is near the winter, I think? Yeah, this would be, uh, I'd say, uh, two years in, I quit my job. And uh, it was it was partially because the, the website was doing so well with our numbers and advertising that it was worth doing, and partially because the company had gotten sold to another company that, I, that, that both me and Jake worked for, and, and it, it went totally Dilbert in every single way. And uh, I wasn't happy with how my personal life was going. I wasn't happy with how my business life was going. I went and I told my boss, like, you know, I can be unhappy in one as long as I'm happy in the other. But if I'm unhappy in both, then that's kind of a deal breaker. Something's got to change. So I uh, I made the leap and uh, jumped out there, and uh, I convinced you to also quit <laughs> and dragged you with me. Right. But, but, I mean, at the time, what I was doing before was acting as... Like, cause we, we, there was, there was money coming in, but there was still like a certain amount of costs and shit like that. So I needed the job in order to be able to like sustain much of the project. Cause we had decided to basically go fucking all in, you know, it's like every single penny at that point, we, uh, we were diverting to, uh, basically just running this new operation. We were doing different things like buying t-shirts and stuff. We tried that. You know, we tried every avenue of business that everybody who looks at your thing going online and be like, Hey, have you tried this? Well, after six years, I can tell you, I had tried a lot of things. <laughs> and we did try it all. And all of those costs were very real. And in, in a sense, they were it was the very expensive lessons of business. Unfortunately for us, we had the luck that when uh, by the time Ryan convinced me, he's like, all right, let's do this. We can you know, both succeed at this. And there was lots of exciting opportunities that were coming up. I was, I was already in negotiation with lots of different uh, advertisers that were making us nice, sweet promises of uh, Internet monies and bright futures ahead. So I uh, quit my job in September of 2008. You may, you, if you 
have a good memory, you might remember that's the same month that uh, pretty much we had our own Great Depression. So uh, the financial collapse happened not too long after. And all of those pipe dreams of advertising dried up, like, in front of our fucking eyes. And meanwhile, we had just pretty much, like, well, maybe not me, but you, you had kind of, like, dynamited the bridge back to the, you know, the 9 to 5 world. Be like, see you later, blue boom! And I was still, I still had to have my foot in it, because I never... I'm not a huge risk taker. Yeah, it was uh, it was very unfortunate when the the financial collapse had happened because by at this point we had we had a good amount of advertising come in. Uh, my site had a star membership system. The star the star membership system, or is that what you still call it now? I know you call it patronage. Patronage uh, began over on my site and then uh, eventually kind of uh, came over. Jake took it and kind of morphed it into his own idea. As uh, he 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 created this entire vision around the idea of, of freemium. Yeah, there's, there's a book out there called Free uh, that, that is basically, it kind of explains how you can make a business model off of free, and one of the ways that you do it is freemium, uh, freemium which means a lot of free with a bit of premium stuff that, that people pay for. And we were doing pretty well on this right up until the financial collapse, and what happened is uh, the, the dollar the Canadian dollar uh, or the American dollar. We were getting paid in American dollars, so it was very good that the, the American dollar was high. It was making like 30% like more money just from charging the same amount. It was great. Yeah, so that immediately, uh, there was parity. All of a sudden, the, the, the Canadian dollar became worth more than the American dollar, which fucking sucked. Yeah, it, and it's still, you know, I've actually calculated uh, yearly how much it's cost just in terms of membership, I, I think one year it costs no, no, no. three grand it. of just uh, just in 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 the the transfers and all this other kind of stuff. The income that we lost from just non-parity, it was nuts, nuts. It it, it mounted one year, I think, almost to twenty percent. It it got so bad. The advertising numbers immediately dropped like a, down to a third of what they were before, and, and kept on falling every day. They they were falling well, not every day, but every month the checks were just getting smaller and smaller. And the uh, the star memberships cut in half too because you know this isn't just a problem that affected uh, idiot web bloggers and their attempts to sell people podcasts. This this was across the board. Every, everyone had less money and everybody was holding on because you didn't know what the fuck was going on. Right, you didn't have that loose change that you were spending on a sarcastic site about mixed martial art itself, a huge luxury. So it was, you know, at that point. Um, this is when, luckily, the, the, the good atheist part, like we, it was slower building because I didn't write nearly as much as you did. You had the traffic numbers in terms of just individuals uh, going every day. And good atheist, which is a much slower pace, eventually managed to be uh, you know, the same size as the, you know, the considerable membership that you had managed to get on your site. So... That was the pendulum swing at that point. Yeah, your 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 viewership, your your the people who followed your website always did it through the podcast, and for me it was mainly through the website. And I always felt like you know you you tried to emulate what I was doing on Fightlinker as a website. And I always kind of thought that you know it, it made more sense. The podcast was always kind of the main course. It was always the steak on the plate, and that should have been kind of what was always 
visible up and up and in front. You know what I mean? Like everything else, like you were you were trying to push yourself to do X. Now for a while you were trying to keep up with me as far as like pumping content onto the site, and that's just a mistake. You can't you your your best your best use of time is soaking in new information to you know barf out during uh, during podcasts. Yeah, I mean it it, it really is. For me, it just kind of like soaking up information just becomes that fun hobby. That because in a sense, what you do has to be fun, right? Me doing research is is much more fun than me actually writing the stuff. And speaking about it is is fun too, as long as I'm having you know like a good time, good co-host, and I'm not fucking feeling super stressed. This is a good situation. But the you know the writing part of it was always a bit of that struggle. But I always knew my feeling was always this: is that you can try to rest on. The skills that you have, or you can try to build on them, you know. So I, I have actually done more commitment to the to the site and writing, uh, even more than ever, just because I realize that even as I'm writing the book itself, just the pace of writing has to just augment and increase. But I, it, the good thing is, as you get older, you have more skills. So you're like, well, maybe I was more skilled in that area now, but that's six years, you know. Like, to, I, but I'm still not at the cr- level of kind of creation that you are, though. I, I fucking no way. No way, man. I don't want it. I don't. Uh, you, you know what it leads to? Crazy periods of uh, writer's block. Yep, true. Uh, but uh, you know, going back to uh, uh, the collapse and everything like that, this was uh, fortunately the good atheist saved our asses because uh, yeah, the pendulum swinging back and forth as it always seemed to do that. Uh, one site would carry us for a while, and then the other site would carry us for a while, and then it would be back and back and forth. And this was the point where the pendulum swung, and the good atheist really started getting hot, like uh, lots and lots of subscribers through iTunes. And uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't due to any kind of marketing savvy on on our part. No, it was for the most for years. It was an afterthought. That's why even the Fight Linker had more podcasts than the good atheists. Uh, did at one point because we were more consistent with the, the with the business strategy that we had basically you know the the morphed star membership that you originally had which was basically a modified site that allowed uh, people to keep tr- more track of forum posts and things like that. This is before Facebook was stealing everybody's thunder. <laughs> yeah, seriously, this 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 site was basically a uh, mini a Facebook. Face- yeah, mini Facebook. I was I was running uh, mistakenly. It was not in my best business interest to have done that. But, but you could not see the fucking future, man. And at the time, it worked really great. It's just that everybody made fun of the fact that things happened in frames, and uh, yeah, and it required so much technical expertise that you were basically just drowning in in the technical aspect and couldn't even focus on actually the content part. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely one thing. Uh, you, uh, you people out there, if you're going to be starting something, you better realize that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm good at the writing part. I'm good at the podcasting part. The rest of everything involved with like running a website, I've gotten good at everything involving uh, website maintenance and like, uh, you know, uh, managing your domain and 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 trying to keep your website safe. But all that stuff almost gave me a nervous breakdown. Quite, uh, quite frankly, there was. Uh, well, it's nerve-wracking because it, it, it's kind of like eggshell fragile and represents – I mean, I think that you're probably way past the 10,000 postmark, you know, seeing how I'm close to about 3,000 posts and you're just like – Yeah, about 15,000, yeah, 15, I go. think it was. So that's just a monstrous amount of motherfucking posts. How many – if you bound that up, how many books would that be? I don't know. It'd probably be like a dozen books at least. It's a lot. 
maybe maybe a Stephen King book. <laughs> it's three Stephen King books. There you Ooh. go. Oh man, that really puts it in context. That's a lot. It is a lot, but that's what it is. And meanwhile, it kind of exists in this fragile false world. Sure, okay, you can back it up and all that kind of stuff, but anybody knows that even that information is some fragile-ass shit, okay? It's all fragile. Really, fundamentally, it's all fragile. So here, here you have all this motherfucking work, and it could just be poof gone. Well, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. The uh, the Fight Linker podcasts are no longer online uh, because the the, the, the plug-in that, that I used uh, is no longer supported. And uh, that was where all of the links kind of got fed through. So now the posts just don't have the download links. Uh, and, yeah, I haven't uh, had the time to go back and, 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 and add the links back in, mainly, you know, because those, those shows have a shelf life. It's not like atheism where, uh, you know, you do a show about, uh, you know, the Catholics, uh, Catholic Church raping children uh, or corruption in the Catholic Church, and then two weeks later, oh, that problem's solved, and we don't have to deal with it anymore because we figured it out and we're going to move on. <laughs> yeah, that ain't gonna happen. That's, what that's what, one what of universe timeless, is that? Fucking. Yeah, one of those timeless chestnuts where you can keep talking about that for another. Uh, you can listen to that show five years later, and it's just as relevant now as it is then. Because sadly, nothing has changed. Ultimate fighting slightly different. You know, we talk about uh, a fight five days before it happens, and then afterwards, why would you want to listen to our predictions about what has already happened? The truth is, what you should probably do, but though you will never do, is go in there, rip out all of the great jokes that don't really have a contextual thing. Because there were so many. There were so many. Most of them are very inappropriate. But there were, you know there were hilarious moments. Like, remember that fucking show where we had nothing to talk about and we were just fucking around, just talking like Sean Connery? That's a classic show. Everybody was pissing their fucking pants laughing on that one. So... There were still some great moments. It's just that it, the data mining of that would be... Uh, I don't think you would do it. You, you, somebody else would have to do it for you because you would just not... You couldn't stand it. You'd, just, you'd jump off a bridge, for God's sakes. It's just that yeah. kind. He's so morose. <laughs> He's the emo writer. Yeah. The, the yeah, I've, con I've considered mining it for the book. Like mining and going through and getting all the jokes and uh, just putting them in a doc file and then knowing I'll be able to kind of just spit them out whenever I need them. But uh, it's like a random is, joke generator. It is. Uh, it is. You know, a couple hundred hours. It's daunting. It is definitely daunting. You know, it's daunting. The middle of it. That's the surprising part. I think. I, I think people in marathons say this. Ah, uh, birds. All right. I think people in marathons say this when they they reach that point where like, oh, it's so far. And I'm out of energy. What's going to happen? I can't do this. I cannot do this. And you realize that that's the part of your brain that's always, always has that reserve part you don't, you're not aware of because it doesn't want you to be aware of that. That's a fucking emergency power. That's auxiliary power. All right. That's a fucking shields are down, life support shit. And you can tap into that, but you have to pass, you know, pu push past that point that's like, I can't do it no more. Okay. Well, you need to shut up now because this is, this is happening. I think it's like that with a lot of projects themselves, you know? It's not just a fucking marathon. Man, that's like so much of life. Well, you're going to have to push on now. You're going to have to find new energy now. And that's just how it is. Well, we definitely wouldn't have been able to make it through if it wasn't for all the patrons and all the people signing up for Star Memberships and giving us $20 for uh, for bonus shows and, and, and basically helping out. It was uh, it, it amazes me, looking back, that the business model worked. 
and that we we made it through that that period of time like the, that it lasted like several years that's uh even now it amazes me and it, it comes down to uh the fans who listen to the show and, and again it, it confuses me hugely because i you know i have a hard time understanding people who listen to podcasts at all let alone people willing to support uh to such a high degree just because it's not a part of my life it's, it's not something that i do i uh you know my only experiences with podcasts uh are basically occasionally listening to like the joe rogan podcast and i can understand what people have kind of said is that, that how they've explained it to me is that it feels like they're sitting in on a conversation with us and that they're just hanging out with some friends and having conversations that they uh, maybe don't get to have in their day-to-day life. Yeah, but here's the thing. You're a lone wolf, all right? Let me ask you this question. How often, if it wasn't for the podcast, how often would we regularly chat? Seriously. I don't know. I can count on my hands the time this year that you've reached out just for shits and giggles to be like, hey, how's it going, dude? Do you want me to tell you? Well, how many times have you reached out, sir? Well, here's the thing. Every time I reach out, it's the kind of the same story of uh, I'm working here. I reach out, I talk for about three sentences, get nothing back, and I'm like, all right, he's working. And <laughs> and and let me let me ask you this: if I if I go out to communicate with you and say hi, how many times are you going to respond in more than one sentence? You know, a whole paragraph worth of stuff. Come on. Tell me. I can go back and look on Skype or Google Talk, by the way. I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty miserable across the board like that. And uh, it's it's not... It, it is. It's nothing... It's, no, I know it's nothing personal. It's, it says nothing about uh, your you know view of the friendship or anything else like that. I know this, but you have to kind of understand that that's not normal. That's another <laughs> thing that human beings, other human beings feel. In fact, some people, people on the other side of the spectrum, right? You would expect a certain kind of dynamic. Some people are so thirsty... For human interaction that is not, A, a giant bore, B, driving them crazy, you know, and C, might be something that they would never even have imagined talking about. So, I mean, of course, you don't have that problem. You, mister, are sheltered and uh, love it. You love your sheltering. You're you're the fucking hermit in the woods. My digital woods. I'm the lurker. Yeah, digital woods. Yeah, exactly. You find ways to basically hermit yourself. But you you moved to Ottawa to try to reduce that into your uh, actual everyday life. Has that succeeded, at least? Yeah, generally. Generally, yeah. it has. Like, how often do you go out on weekends? Uh, well, I basically I I have like a, a twice a week. Like, I go out and do something cool twice a week at, at least, and it usually ends up being more like three times a week. So I'll plan two things a week to do. See, that's a lot, man. That is a lot of things. It's a it's it's a decent amount. It's a you know. Any, anything more than that gets a little bit silly. Anything less than that, you start going a little bit stir-crazy. <laughs> yes, that's true. You do go stir-crazy when you don't do... Well, I mean, even two is, is a bit high. But, uh, you know, I, I don't actually know the number of things that I do, mostly because so many of the things that I could say, well, I went out there, but there was also kind of a work component to it, almost, it seemed. Like, for instance, yesterday, I went out to a, a film screening of Carissa, who's in a movie short, where she plays, like, the supervillain. Right. Oh, that finally came out. It finally came out after like two years. Everybody had a big laugh about it. But it's, it's fucking awesome. I hope. Uh, I hope it's gonna be. They're gonna be putting it on YouTube, and I'm gonna be fucking. Uh, you know, probably displaying it all over the place on every single. Uh, you know, Twitter, Facebook, the the site and stuff like that. So everybody gets to see Carissa. You know, kicking some ass, and eventually. Uh, well, I don't want to give it away, but you know, she's the bad guy. So it is a superhero movie. It is so, a superhero uh, movie. So you know, piece it together, people. I don't want to ruin it, but no spoiler alert, sure. But yeah, spoiler alert. She's a bad guy. 
<laughs> so we went there. But I mean, in a sense, is that going out? Like, is that me actually saying, like, I'm going to go out there, or is it just sort of, well, you know, Carissa's in this movie, so we got to go. So I don't know the difference. So I can't, I can't honestly tell you when, when was the last outing that I'm like, I'm deciding to go there now. See, I think I'm just being dragged all over the place. But I think that takes a lot of the pressure of actually having to think about these issues. Like, oh, I have obligations now because, you know, Chris is uh, fucking famous in Calgary. So, all right. Did I tell you that she's been recognized for being on the show? For being on this show, she has been recognized on the street. That has never occurred to me. No one has ever recognized me, but they've recognized my co-host. It's nice. Happened to me in Ottawa, actually. A guy just randomly stopped me on the street and said, "Are you this guy from this website?" And I'm like, "Yes, I am." Which is uh, strange. Were you kind of creepy I'm, at first? Were creeped out at first? Uh, well, I was confused when I got stopped because I just figured uh, I just figured a person was was thinking that I was someone else. Now, uh, that's slightly less likely than than normal because I have a, uh, a some would say unique. Other people would just say fucking weird face. <laughs> you, you have a face that people want to punch. That's it. That little smirk you have in that fucking face of yours. Yeah. If you're not friends with him, trust me, you hate that little smirk. Yeah. Well, uh, but it's interesting because unlike somebody, I don't, uh, I don't put my face on everything. What are you talking about? I put a cartoon face of me on things. Mm -hmm. That's not the same. That's definitely not the same. Everything that you do isn't uh, isn't Jake centric, right? Are you on the cover of your book too? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a drawing again. It's not an actual picture of me. Okay. Yeah. Well, there are no pictures of me floating around, uh, real or illustrated, and uh, someone still recognized me, which I thought was, uh, which was, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty. So now Jeff is the only one that has to beat me to it, for it to be officially me, the last guy. Oh, Jeff doesn't Jeff doesn't go out enough for it to happen. Well, exactly. See, if it happens to Jeff, then I know that. You know, it doesn't matter how many times I draw my face on it. I'll have to accept the fact that my face is just too generic. It's not going to happen. I'm like, I think I just, I think I could be a spy. Well, someone recognized you at an atheist convention one time. I remember that specifically. Okay, but here's the deal, all right? If you go to the lion's den, you're going to get bitten. I'm just talking about the regular street world out there, okay? Not an atheist convention, not a fucking, you know, atheist rally, none of those places. I'm talking a regular Joe on the motherfucking street. You're just walking by and be like, hey... That's what that that counts. The other stuff does that does not count. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. See, the only other time that I got recognized, I remember, is because uh, I went to a, a conference in Calgary. This is years ago, and then there was a speaker, and then I just I was arguing with him, and then somebody recognized my voice. That's how that's how the guy he saw me, and then I spoke, and then he was like, "That's Jacob." So, the voice takes precedence over the face. I think it's just, you know what it is? People see my face and they're like, oh, I'm disappointed now. That's the face for this voice? It should be like a Steve McQueen-like thing or I don't know what. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm not as cool looking as my voice. I, what can I What can I do? Stay on the radio. Stay on the radio. Stay on the radio. No, I'm going to be doing video eventually. I've got to fight this. Maybe if it means destroying my beautiful voice, I'll do it. How does one destroy a voice, by the way? I don't know, gargle with acid? Yeah, but then maybe you could have one of those really super raspy voices, like the guys who do commercials for movies and stuff. Yeah. It's like, I tried to make it worse, but it only got better. It's like a superpower. 
Okay, no, that's probably not going to happen. Speaking of superpowers, you know what I've been doing? I've been reading the very, very first Spider-Man comics, like issue number one, issue number two, like just going back and reading the very first ones because I realized I, I never actually read the first Spider-Man. I mean, I've, I've, I've read some, a lot of Spider-Man comics, but how many people have actually read the first few episodes when you see the first villains or realize how they were writing the character for the first time? Yeah, but it's not like uh, those you know 50s and 60s comics were especially well-written. No, 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 no. Well, actually, here's what I love about looking at it. There are certain things that you can tell that they're just trying to get across. Like, I love that one of the things you'll always notice about these early comic books is that they're always trying to make that pitch that this is the greatest adventure. You know, they always have to sell the next one because it's it's so new that every single time a new one comes out, it's got to be the greatest one. And even, I think, like, episode number six, they're like, I know that you're probably getting tired of us calling this the greatest one. But this one's so good that it's going to be difficult not to. Do you know what I mean? So they're constantly trying to do that stuff. That's the kind of thing that I like looking at being, you know, how are they really trying to sell and and noticing, like, how they're just always reintroducing certain elements to the story because, you know, you probably only picked it up at episode six if they're lucky. So they have to constantly try to jam it in and new fucking villains all the time. New, new, new every episode. And it's got to be resolved really quickly. But the one thing I thought was really hilarious, I, I, I guess it's just an offshoot when we mention superheroes, is you got Peter Parker in the very first episodes. He's so worried about money. that You know in the movies there, after his Uncle Ben dies and he decides that he's not going to prostitute himself in that costume anymore? Yeah, that's not what happened in the comics. He kept on doing it. The only reason that he'd stopped was because they couldn't write any checks and he couldn't cash them in. So he stopped doing it because there was no practical way to fucking pay himself. So then he goes around trying to find money, and he goes to the Fantastic Four, and he's like, give me a fucking job after he breaks into their place. This is his plan. But he's a teenager. He breaks into their place, and he's like, they're going to be so impressed, they're going to give me a job. And they're like, what does it pay? And they're like, this is a nonprofit, and he just takes off. And you're thinking to yourself, you know what, Peter Parker, you're a pretty smart guy. You know, you wonder to yourself, I wonder how the Fantastic Four make money. And it's actually, they even say it themselves. They make money from patents and all their scientific inventions. And do you know how often Peter Parker designs scientific inventions? Like, all the time. I'm like, you could have patented it. You could have probably fucking uh, made some money off of it. You wouldn't have had so many monetary problems. You're stupid. So a, a genius inventor didn't know what to do with his genius inventions that could do anything, really. I'm like, you could have just sold one of them. Fucking idiot. Oh, well. I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying the ride, though. Especially seeing as how they badmouth the press, and you keep wondering, I'm like, is this just a sign of like things going on that's going to happen with Fox News? Because J. Jonah Jameson, he's basically like, I just, he's like Bill O'Reilly. He's Bill O'Reilly. He's like, I'm going to just say something because it sells newspapers and headlines and shit like that. He doesn't even have a vendetta against Spider-Man. He's just like, this is going to fucking sell print. I think that's pretty much an indictment of the newspaper and media industry in general. It's like, oh, as soon as you're trying to make money, you have no journalistic credibility. Bing. All right. Way to go, comic book. Shit. I think it's always been kind of apparent. It's just sad that it's gone off just even a straight, you know, oh, the, the news organization is trying to make money to the people who own it are trying to make money so that they're manipulating the... Me- it's gotten like an extra level of complication. 
Yeah, building on to- more craziness built on top of more craziness. Even more corruption. It's like it's not even just about what will sell the most newspaper, what will draw in the most viewers. It's now about what's going to sway the public into supporting or uh, going against these policies that we want or don't want. Ah, the terrifying future. Of course, we know how Ryan feels about it. Mr. Fucking, it's going to be all... What was it last show that you said was going to be your future? I think it's worth repeating. Oh, basically, uh, climate change is going to happen to the point where, you know, they've already talked about how much more water there's going to be in the oceans, how much the, uh, the, the ocean level is going to raise, and what problems that's going to cause. But even above and beyond that, um, I figure that, that sooner or later, the way it's going to happen is instead of winter, we're just going to have, uh, you know, hail, uh, hail balls the size of soccer balls that just destroy everything. And uh, then we're fucked. And from there, we just have to live underground like mole people. Have you watched The Day After Tomorrow at any point? Do you watch this? This this is an off question. I don't know why I would watch a terrible... uh, Because that's what your thing sounds like. It sounds like giant soccer ball-sized golf balls destroy everything, like missiles. That's just silly. That's just saying, like, environmental damage is a thing that happens just more slowly. It's not like it's a catastrophic... Not when we're causing it. Not when all of a sudden you've got all this extra fucking water out there raising the sea levels and causing all sorts of crazy current changes. That shit is pretty sudden. It's not sudden to the point where you're getting missiles, soccer ball-sized missiles, okay? That's... I could maybe have given you baseball, but you pushed it with the soccer balls, mister. Yeah, well, we'll see. We will see. I know, that that's the great thing about it, is that we will get to see, and it could be just horrible, just absolutely the worst uh, outcome ever. Or it could be, you know, just kind of shitty, uh, but, but you know... Wait, there's a third option. You want to hear my third option? Well, that we're going to pull out of it? Here's what I think. I think that if there was a third option, it wouldn't be that we just pull out of it. Is that the very thing... Like, there was this one philosopher who said um, that climate change is the greatest thing that we've ever done not not greatest as in this is amazing but the greatest in terms of how much we've been able to influence something we've been able to influence the entire weather of a gigantic planet that's that's massive and he's like the only thing that needs to be bigger is our attempt to fucking fix it and maybe in that sense you know we do have to come together and given our fucking resolve or technological sophistication and maybe the changing world that that creates you know like when maybe the enemy that we fight isn't doesn't have to be aliens it doesn't have to be something it's just the fucking villain that we created through our own carelessness but we can fucking fight this beast together and maybe that's what leads to you know your star trek like utopia uh that's hilarious because i was reading this article and it had uh, it had kind of like this prediction for how everything was going to go down and uh one of the options that it that it had uh was what it called fortress world where the majority of the planet is fucked, and you have these fortress cities that exist where where people are fine, but everybody else is fucked. And I would say that that is probably the most likely outcome, is that because you, you think everybody's going to come together. I think what will happen is people will say, we can't save everybody. Sorry, too bad. It's not going to happen. We have to concentrate on saving you know, the rich and important people. That's uh, that's fine. And you know what's going to happen to Fortress City then in your dystopia? Well, the poor will rip it apart, but uh, yeah. it doesn't matter. At that point, we're fucked. So uh, after after Fortress City where goes do you down... Get the, where do you read these morose articles? 
We need to get you off these subscription lists. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I think I've talked about this a couple of times, how I try to stop reading politics. I've, now that the election is over, that's the end of politics for a while. I've been good at that, but, uh, you know, I'm still reading stuff about the world, the environment. It's all, uh, it's all pretty depressing. I think it's depressing, but you can luckily ignore it. And people who do uh, end up being a lot happier. Yeah, well, especially like getting back to running a web enterprise. Because I don't know whether or not we would have we would have actually struck out on our own if uh, we had waited until after the financial collapse happened. I don't think we might have. I, I think it would have been it was it's a very fucking different world between before that shit hit the fan and afterwards. Well, well, afterwards it would have just the the whole part of. Hey, we can just, you know, because when the advertising monies were coming in and the traffic numbers kept on going up, I mean, what's the conclusion you're going to reach, right? This is going to keep going up. It's not a foolish belief. It's just that it turns out that uh, everything was about to hit uh, pretty rock bottom. I think what ended up happening, in a sense, is that we were forced to try to be innovative. That's the that's the one thing that was uh, that also the good thing that happened out of that is that we needed to be smart. Like we evolved fucking business models that had just been invented you know a year previous being like all right let's adapt that to ours and in a sense too like what happened was that the patronage system that we had made suddenly became kind of like an obligation right like a contract to produce something because as soon as you sold a membership you're like i have to honor this for a whole fucking year right yeah every membership that we sold was uh was the promise of a of a year's worth of access to bonus shows which was uh you know, good in one way, and you know, it lasted for I think something like a uh, three years that we were that we were running it, and we were running it well, we were keeping it all tight. But near the end there, when it started to get a little bit shaky, because uh, uh, it, it's the the problem with the system is that uh, is that you have your your set number of of people who are coming on onto the site, and you're mining them for customers, and there's only so much low hanging fruit. Plus, the problem is that it does impede growth. Some of the content you're now locking down, which means that content that gets locked down is content that doesn't get that hasn't been listened to. The thing that I like about the model now is by the time I log down a show, it's been downloaded like seven or eight thousand times. Okay, it's out there. Now just locking it down is just people who were fucking too careless to pay attention since the beginning. That's your punishment. But otherwise, I mean, like when we had bonus shows, like really quality shows where only four to seven hundred people listen. That felt eventually, when I really thought about it, it felt like the wrong approach to things, you know. You, especially when you're like, if I'm producing all this content and it's just not being listened to, what the hell is the point? Even if it's just attracting a, a few of those low-hanging fruits that we're still trying to pluck, you know. What? Where do you find a way to kind of grow, but at the same time provide an incentive? So it took me a little fucking while to rework that model. But luckily by then, my rework system is that we've already produced so much now and are continuing to produce stuff that it just almost doesn't matter. I think the realization was that you do need to have a pretty deep mind to go from when you start actually charging fucking money for it. Because if you don't, like, you're going to stammer in fall. And people will be like, where's the product, man? I don't see nothing. And that's a fucking that's you know especially in the, in when when we started to falter is the, the pressure of producing new shows all the time because in the early parts we didn't have any bonus content right the bonus content was whatever we were fucking producing tomorrow we were promising the 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 future of bonus <laughs> that felt uh, eventually after a while like too much pressure it it kind of got to us I think yeah and uh, as the time went along I mean you get your initial the the model worked really well for I'd say two of the three years and then in the third year. Uh, you're you're struggling along. The model needs switching, 
And uh, at that point, you know, it's uh, Jake. Jake has had to go back to work a couple times. I've had to take things on the side and stuff like that. It's uh, all of a sudden you're not able to keep up with that obligation, and that that feels fucking terrible. There's nothing. There's nothing that makes you feel more like a piece of shit than not being able to uh, provide the content for the super fans that you know that they want. Because uh, you know if. If you're a fan of, of a blog or a website or a web comic, uh, this is a good example. Me and Jake used to read this comic, uh, Player vs. Player, PVPOnline.com, uh, by a guy named Scott Kurtz. And we get angry just if he, you know, if he missed a day. He put up a comic, you know, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And if he was like, you know, half a day late on a comic, We just bitch about it all yeah, day. Yeah, not to him. You know, we, we, don't, no, we wouldn't no, go on never, Twitter never. And, and fucking shit on him. But you know, we were damn well thinking about it. We, we would have conversations about it. No, this guy is a professional and this and that. So, you know, we knew the conversations that people were having about absolutely, us. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, and there's nothing when your whole life is producing this content. Uh, for me, it was producing all the all the fight linker posts and the podcasts and everything else like that. Uh, and it and it stops coming. People people see that you're you're basically exposed. There's no this this was one of the few downsides to this kind of job is that if if you get in in the morning and you don't feel like working really hard, uh, you can may, you can get away with it because nobody's watching. But if if those posts aren't up, if that podcast doesn't go up, then people are wondering what the fuck. And it, it's hard to hide the fact uh, that you're struggling. Yeah, people register it. Although I think you know one of the benefits of actually having worked producing that content, all of a sudden you you feel very differently. You know, I think we we were saying that at the beginning, and then I, we, that was not a dialogue that we had a long time after, when we really started doing this thing pretty fucking seriously. And by the time we were both committing to the bonus content of both our sites, that was four every week, four shows. We were doing shows back to back. We were recording one show, taking a fucking break, and then recording a second show. It was exhausting days. And I think what ended up happening is, again, like when you're in the early parts of doing anything like, say, selling memberships, just like that, when you're gathering up all those, those fallen fruits, and uh, the first part is always a big haul, right? Like the, you just take your hands, you just go in there, and you're just like, boom, I have a bunch. But then the rest turn out to be a lot more difficult to gather up. The problem that you see is that eventually you, you notice at first there was a nice spiral upwards, and then that spiral does not continue that's it you had the, your initial thing and then boom get ready for whatever steady pace and if that steady pace isn't enough that you see a future that is what's terrifying you know i think that's when um you know you lose hope when you're just like there's how the fuck am i supposed to get on with this and what you don't realize is that the reason it's like this is because you're stuck doing something one particular way You're just you're and you're so stuck that you can't even see a way out of it. Somebody might have to tell you you need to radically change the way that you're doing things. But how are you supposed to see that? Yeah, and especially say for uh, the good atheist. With with Fight Linker, it was always a little bit better because there were other avenues. If I had chosen to to go in different avenues, uh, if if I had wanted to focus on doing the t-shirt stuff and I kept up on that, I probably could have turned that into something bigger. And, uh, you know, you can always turn back to advertising and hustle that more. But with The Good Atheist, uh, other than listener support, 
what other business model is there? Uh, I mean, I mean, literally across the board, unless you're like uh, uh, Richard Dawkins or or one of those people that got picked up on that. Uh, e- even the people that got that got picked up uh, to go over to that new atheist network, uh, blogger network, where they all teamed up. I don't. I don't think they're making particularly large amounts of money. No, I can tell you from having interviewed many, many people that. No one's making really any serious money. They're all doing it because, you know, it's part of their passion. That's primarily it. There's, if you're in this for the money, you're crazy. You're literally insane. Categorically nuts. Yeah, there is no, there is no established business model. I guess because if there was, everybody would be doing it. But uh... well, no, not even. I mean, you can have a, you can put a business model out there, and it can just be still so tough to implement that most people still. Won't do it. I think the issue is it's it's kind of like there's a number of issues. Number one is that our competition, let's say religion, okay, and and let's just not that we're calling ourselves a religion, but we're trying to engage in many of the same tactics because their tactics work, okay. If their tactics works of trying to get fucking people to believe what the hell they're believing, you know, we need to take some kind of a you know not the same approach, but we need to take whatever it is that they did that works, and then combine it with the fact that our story is not crazy, and it's based on this whole notion that don't be arrogant about what you think the universe is about. Find that shit out for yourself, please. Ask questions, be skeptical, but ultimately trust the process that we call science. It's actually pretty trustworthy. And if you don't trust it, well, go find out more about it, and then you'll realize that oh. It's pretty fucking trustworthy. So it's a good system of knowing things. It's a good system, and you should learn it. That would be our fucking little motto. More you know. I don't think it has anything necessarily to do with the fact that the business models themselves, you know, that there there isn't stuff that can be working. In fact, I, I like, I offer to help uh, lots of other people that are in the scene try to implement some of the models that has worked for me. Not to just suddenly be like, hey, you can quit your fucking job. But I mean... Saying like, how can you organize this content and try to, you know, market it and sell it, right? And I think that there's lots of people that really haven't thought that because, uh, like any person who produces content, you're busy doing fucking so many other things. Sometimes the difficult part is figuring out a way to pay yourself. It's like that in most jobs, apparently, though. So nothing new with blogs. It's just that the money there, the money's not there because the everybody else's trust isn't there. The, everyone's like, well, are people really going online? You know, we're in the UK. There's still more money going into TV when there are more people on the internet than on TV. But all the money is still going to TV because that's the model there. They know it works and they want to just stick with it. And that's kind of why so much of the money is missing from the internet. But at the same time, I think that that's what drives a little bit of our innovation, right? And we just have to figure out new ways constantly. It's that pressure. If you're not part of that pressure, it's a... Uh, it's kind of it seems like it would be a good thing. Yeah, I feel like we did a pretty decent job with the freemium system that we had like uh you know, with the technological knowledge that we have because you know, trying to implement something like this doesn't just magically happen. There there has to be you, there there are technological hurdles that have to be made and we are basically, you know, part of the special olympics. Uh, actually, you know, I can't say that we're part of the Olympic part, but we're definitely special. We you know what we are? We're the towel managers for the special olympic athletes. That's what we are. Yeah, we're 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 pretty much like just struggling to understand this ever changing thing called the internet. It's uh, it's a, it's a daunting task, and you know there really is no 
way to tell what the future of this thing holds. There really isn't. I just don't imagine. I keep thinking about how much power every year we just pump into it. It's just raw power. And it's kind of frightening. I'm like, is there is there going to be a time where we pump more power through the internet than we do to anything else? Like, is this just going to become the biggest fucking power sucker that we have? Because we can we cannot we were relentlessly putting effort into it. I mean, how many how many content producers would you say? Either people putting stuff out there, writing comments. Like, how many people does that Incorporate. How many different views and opinions and attitudes are there right now, currently buzzing online? Well, who knows? Too many to think about. It'd, pro- it'd probably be so noisy that it would drive you insane. It would be. It's the board collective, except for the you can't hear it all at once because you would go nuts. So instead, you just try to find the ones that sound pleasant enough that you know you're not going to go crazy. You'd be like, I'll stick with these motherfuckers. Yeah, the the right approach to kind of look at it when you're when you're thinking about how mysterious it is. Think about the fact that uh, millions upon millions upon millions of people in China are online and on the internet on all sorts of different websites and and uh, social networks and forums. Uh, you know, there somewhere there is a on the internet there is a Chinese Reddit style site where everybody talks about uh, everything, and we know nothing about that, and it's gigantic and mysterious to us. And if you, if you turn it around and you just kind of take that take that that mystery that awe at the fact that that's out there and and we have no real understanding of it you just kind of reflect it back on our, on ourselves and our own usage of the internet you realize it's kind of the same thing it's the internet is is just so giant and in a way it's like this is kind of my love letter to the internet people talk about job creators that's one of those fucking uh bullshit ideas that uh big media pushes and they they say that the the job creators are uh these rich people who suck all of the profit and money out of businesses while paying their uh their employees as little as they can get away with paying them now i say that a job creator is something like the internet where it's just a platform that anybody can go and use uh, to do whatever they feel could be of interest to other people, and uh, all of a sudden you've created a job out of it. I'm, Jake and I created jobs for ourselves out of it. Uh, lots of other people have too. It's 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 the new it's the new frontier. It's the land of opportunity. There's there's no limit to what you can do on the internet. Well, what's great too is that. Uh, by the time the book ships out and new sales, because you know you 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 get a certain amount of pre-sales and you know you're going to get a certain amount of sales themselves, and there's lots of people that are just waiting for the book to actually be out before they give. I totally understand. I'm the same way when it comes to video games. But the point is, after that, there's going to be a certain cost associated with shipping it. And the crazy thing is that since most of my the people who are going to buy it are honestly from the U.S. and not Canada, um, I'm going to have my editor, who's uh, who's down in the states, she's going to be shipping, and she will be able to get part of the profit from the sales from having you know from the shipping and handling part. So I'm going to be a job creator in the U.S. from the sales of my book, dude. How awesome is that? I'm a job creator soon. 
I'm looking forward to that, especially seeing as I'm like, hey, since most of my money is uh, coming from Americans, I'm glad that I'm also able to pump it back into their fucking economy in some small way. Yeah, well, it's just, you know, when you when you read the Internet or you read all these articles about, you know, the state of the economy and the state of this and the state of that, and the big reason why I stopped reading a lot of uh, politics and stuff is, is that it, it gives you a certain kind of hopelessness. You spend so much time seeing the negative that you don't see all the ways in which everything is working and working really well. How uh, how it just naturally flows, and uh, or just how amazing some fucking human beings out there are, because you don't see yeah, like it. our business model succeeding uh, in spite of our incom- our business incompetence, and in spite of the, uh, the the crash and everything else like that, just goes to uh, to kind of show you that the mechanism is there and it is still firing, and uh, if you if you look too much at, uh, at at any of the negative aspects of it, you might be discouraged from from maybe believing that. I think I mentioned this on the um, the last show, and I'll re-mention it now, is the fact that so many of the episodes that I've included, I have had to expunge mention of quitting The Good Atheist. There's like one or two where that, that where there was that mention, because like anything in my life, when I quit something, I like to just do it gradually. I don't like to just be like, it's over. I like to wean people off, because I realize that if you just kind of disappear, they think you're kidnapped or something, so... <laughs> people need some time to be brought into it. And uh, I've taken those parts out of the shows because they don't make any more sense. I realize that, you know what, okay, even if even if tomorrow, I, you know, like I say, I finish the book, sales are lukewarm, and I realize I just got to go back to work, it may scale down some of the things that I do. But I, I, I think I realize I got to take more of the long view on this, like the long, long, long view. What is the worth of the good atheist in ten years? You know, it, will I be actually able to use this name to make some kind of change? I mean, it's already happening in a small way in some people's lives. So, you know, can I just build on that? And abandoning it now would just be the stupidest thing fucking in the world. But when you're at that point where you're just like, this can't pay the bills anymore, which is where I was near, I think episode 150. That was just sort of like the, you know, I'm. I think I'm at the end of my fucking rope there, people. And my announcement was just basically saying, like, look, I mean, I've got a fiancé, and I'm living in a one-bedroom apartment with my mom with a fiancé. That is pretty much, that's rock bottom, dude. That is fucking rock bottom. Well, rock bottom would be no fiancé. Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) Although, you know what? The embarrassment of being with a fiancé at your mom's? Yeah? I don't know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I can definitely see that. That's fucking. I mean, I I I did not uh, date through a, a large period of uh, of our entrepreneurship because I didn't have enough money to do it. To the in my opinion, to do it right. Yeah, there are lots of sacrifices that had to be made, and you know, the, my my relationship, I won't lie, costs me money more money than it would if I was just single. Because when I'm single, and I only have me to worry about. I'm amazing with money. I can make a fucking dollar stretch like you would not believe. But it's not like that when you're in a relationship. You know, there's lots of things like sometimes you you have some money, but they don't have money, and sometimes vice versa. But in that whole process, you always find that you're just you were more broke sometimes than you could possibly fucking imagine. It's the cost of relationships. They have real costs more so than being single. So you were right. I mean, like. You definitely could not afford that. (laughs) And so I couldn't even afford that either. And the cost of that would actually just drive me to the point where I'm like, I need to do go back to work because I can't 
sustain this relationship with zero dollars. But, uh, you know, I, and I guess that, that that was really the point right there where I, I think I put up, I decided that I was going to just either put up or shut up with all the stuff that I had said that I was going to do. I mean, mainly the book, right? Which was the whole reason why I started the fucking podcast in the first place. The stupid book. I mean, that, it comes up so often listening to old episodes. It is the in-joke. The fucking book. I'm going to be glad when that in-joke is done. <laughs> you get that off your back? Yeah, yeah, you know? How can I go on if that monkey's still on my back? There would be literally thousands of people that would be out there being like, where's the book, Jake? Where's the book? Now you have to. You've been talking about it forever to thousands of people. So, shit. Now, no promises is going to be good. <laughs> it's going to be a book. It will fit all of the classic things of a book. No, I think it should be all right. I think it will be all right. I have good hope. And you know what? Like the, What's neat is the DVD is a bit of that, uh, you know, it's like a dry run. It's like finishing, in a, finishing that first little product that's that initial test. You know, because it's, it's not just about gathering up all the things. Like writing, the writing part, part of the book is not what's hard. It's the editing process. You know, it's like the refining what you're saying part. That's the tough part. So, you know, like, even in editing, it's the same thing. You're just having to constantly run th through again and again stuff that just pretty much tires you out. So this will be my good, this will be a good lesson for me. My, 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 the first small dragon I have to slay. And I think that w right when that's done, I mean, it's my attempt to change up, like, the, the model where I'm like, I'm, I have, there's so much content now that I just pile it up, put it in a DVD, and then just basically sell that. And plus, I'm not going to be doggish about it. Like, on the DVD will be a CD ISO. So you can burn it on a CD if you got a CD thing. Because that's how I cover all my bases, right? Because some people have CD players still. Some people fucking DVD players. Uh, and eventually, when we when I make a little bit more money, I want to offer them on USB keys. Except for they just, you know, my profit margin is so low on those ones that I can't sell them yet. But those ones will be available eventually. So that'll be cool too, you know? All the different ways that I can have, like this finished product out there so gleaming and shiny I worked like a fucking maniac on that cover like anything I have to put out there and I'm quite proud of it so I'm actually anxious to hold it in my fucking hands man I don't think people realize I'm like it is sexy a physical product is always nice yeah it is nice and I think that for a lot of people you know too that um, they would just like something that they could show to someone and the presentation, you know, it plays a huge part. If you could just show up to someone and be like, hey, listen to this podcast. It's on a burnt crap CD. Are you going to really start listening to it with an open mind? Or are you just going to be like, oh, another fucking shitty podcast? plays a huge factor, man. you got to look sexy, and then people are going to want to believe you're sexy. And thing you know, you're Adrian Brody on a cover of GQ, even though he looks like a hobgoblin. Yeah, a little. A little bit. You could cut a fucking glass pane with that nose and chin. It's disgusting. He's the Toucan Sam if Toucan Sam had been turned into a real boy. That's what he is. All right. I'm shitting on Adrian Brody too much. He's a nice guy, I think. Yeah, he was really good in The Pianist. <laughs> he was really good. And didn't he, didn't he win a, a nice shiny golden trophy for it? I believe so. There you go. When you do good things, sometimes you get a big shiny trophy at the end and then a whole bunch of applause. And then eventually people forget you. But that's fucking life. So we're we're at the part now where I decide that I'm going to give up, and then I give that a whole oh, I'm going to try the book thing. And the first the first thing on my list was trying to get that that cover, you know, because I think I had mentioned to you like a number like a while ago what I wanted the cover to be. 
Like, uh, you know, I always had that love for classical paintings and things like that, right? I always take myself too seriously as an artist. And I'm like, I want to do fucking something that involves me and that's egocentric because I love putting my face on shit. I spent an inordinate amount of time on the fucking cover. This gigantic, like I bought the biggest drawing pad they actually had at the store. And I just decided I was going to do that because, you know, the whole thing is when you when you print something... You can have it like in really nice resolution, but you'll always notice something off about it, right? Like you'd just be like, oh, there's a line here that's weird. So I figured if I started with a huge drawing, when by the time it was the size of a book, you wouldn't notice any of the flaws. That was my reasoning. It worked. By the time I was done that and we did the campaign, you know, it, it, that was the that was really the craziest thing, like right at the edge when we did the Kickstarter. And I mean, you know how it was, like right near the end, we had no money. We were in Calgary, Chris's... She couldn't even tell anybody about her record for another, like, three months. And, you know, we were just getting no support over here. We were sleeping on an air mattress, and that's all the things we owned, right? So we put out the the, the, the book campaign, and it starts being really successful. But, you know, in the interim, like, there's no fucking income coming in. So we had even borrowed from friends. I borrowed some money from you and some from my mom, I think, or and even some from one, like, really hardcore fan just to sort of fucking float by as we were trying to do this because it ate up like, well, at the end of the day, it ended up evening up almost two months of my fucking life. <clears throat> so to find out 24 hours before the Kickstarter campaign that I had to cancel it when I had already spent some of that fucking money was, uh, yeah, that was the kind of like the Rush Hombeau thing that was just like, oh, what am I going to do? I'm so fucked. I'm so fucked. But luckily, like I said before, I mean, you can be in a position where all of a sudden you, because of your blind, own blinders, you're like, there's no solution out of this. But I found that the only way that I was actually able to not go crazy right at that moment was to say, you know what, I can't afford, I literally cannot afford right now to panic. I can't shut down or whatever. I have to solve this now. And, you know, an hour later, boom, it was back on Indiegogo, and I tried to put as much momentum back into the thing. Like, considering I was exhausted by that, because it had been a 30-day campaign to try to get about 18,000. And then realizing this, like, okay, well, that was the trial run, I guess. <laughs> Here we go. And uh, But by the end, the, the amazing thing about it is that, boom, you know, we just made it. We got back to where it was. We sold fewer books because some of the Kickstarter people were just like, fuck that noise. I don't want to go to Indiegogo. And I, I really could not blame them. I've used the service. And I'm like... Indiegogo is like a Pinto, man, to fucking Kickstarter's Cadillac. It's just that 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 different. I wanted to have that fucking funded with Kickstarter thing so bad, too. I wanted to have that little green award shit. Instead, I have, like, the Indiegogo one. That's lame. But in a sense, I think I did both. You know, managed to knock both. So I took that at the end of saying, like, well, this was going to succeed no matter what. I just needed to make it happen. It gave me enough confidence in what it is that I do. It was like that final, you know, like that one, all right, guys, this is it. Show me that you believe. Because even before when we had sold memberships and stuff, that, that stuff had waned, you know. The interest had waned in that, in the pitch. So it was just kind of like, all right, does no one else care? What's going on? And people don't, people do not communicate with you. They do not get in touch. So you could mean the world to someone, and you'll fucking never know it. 
Maybe you should know it a little bit more. <laughs> if, it's, if it's worth that much, maybe you should. It's always interesting how little feedback you get and how most of the people who are do feel compelled to, to, to reach out usually just want to reach out and tell you how much you suck. Or or not not in a total way. They obviously love what they what you do, but maybe they have a nitpick about one thing one thing. But of course what you what you then hear is, Hey, uh, we really enjoy what you do except for this part that we think is terrible. And uh, that's always, that's never... Can you fix this one thing? Exactly. It's kind of like if there's just a little piece of shit in that bite of food, it still uh, kind of ruins the bite. Yeah, it was still a sandwich with shit in it. Yeah. I don't care how small the nugget was. <laughs> you could have told me the nugget was hidden in the pepperoni or something, and you're like, why did you feed me some shit then, you cruel bastard? But, I mean, in, you know, in a sense, though... It's tough because I don't always dislike the negative parts. The negative parts often they reinforce things that I already assumed or believed, but just kind of needed confirmation. So it's not always necessarily bad. And unlike Fight Linker, I think people on Good Atheists have always been much nicer. But that's also because you know everybody in the uh, the, the Fight Linker scene they're like, why aren't you making money with it, you big loser? <laughs> yeah, just do better. Why aren't you doing better? Why can't you? Why can't you spend all your time doing this better? And I was like, because it's not doing better. They got Glenn closely in Fatal Attraction there on you. Yeah, a little bit sometimes. But these writings are good, folks. Plus, the whole thing is too that uh, your focus on the. I mean, I I will say controversial things, but you will say cruel things. That's, yeah, that's I mean, well, it, it's it's a snark blog, the same way that that you have those vicious. Uh, celebrity blogs where they just rip people apart. Now I've softened over the years, but at the same time, uh, that's still that's still at the root of it. You know, well, you like to put a salty burn, man. At least once in a while, in there, there will be a salty burn for someone. Absolutely, absolutely. But uh, and and that kind of uh, influences the the way that you interact with with people because they read they read your posts which are you know jaunty little uh, voyages through uh, dick and fart joke territory and and burns and yada yada so they write you an email that goes hey cockstain uh, why are you sucking so much where is all the post motherfucker stop being a loser uh, love whatever and to them that's like they they just they they just got to play along they got to they got to share in what you do uh, with you and they uh, put but, caps because they love you yeah and uh and and they don't really mean anything negative by it, but of course you get it, and you're just like, that's that's the kind of email that seriously will will, will drag you down for for the rest of the day. Like also needs to have it. You can be feeling pretty good about everything and pumping out some content, then you get an email from somebody that's just like, you fucking suck, <laughs> and you're just like, you're like, wow. And you try to just make it kind of roll off your back because uh, you know you just got to. That's the, the biz. Same. That's the biz. Exactly, but it, uh, it, it it's hilarious, and this is kind of in in the age of Twitter. It always amazes me uh, that there's a lot of celebrities that use it so much because it gives people such an unfiltered ability to just reach out and be a dick to you. Every so often, I like going into uh, going into like a celebrity or some somebody that I'm interested in, and not read their tweets, but read what people are tweeting them. Because uh, you get a feeling for whether or not, you know, maybe a person isn't always going to write all of their own tweets, but in general, they'll check their mentions, and if you me message them, it'll get to them. And uh, I'm just amazed that some people stick around on that because it's uh, it's impressively negative. It really is negative. You know, every time I engage, like, for instance, there was uh, that comedian Jamie Kilstein 
that went on. And he said something along the lines on Twitter. He was just talking shit about Richard Dawkins or something like that and something to do with Elevator Gate or some shit. And I just read, and it was like, it was perpetual because he was having a whole bunch of arguments with people. And I'm just reading this and I'm like, you know, this is a, this seems like a pretty huge overreaction. You know, are you, are you rebelling against your dad or something? You know what I mean? And then he just bites back and he's like, that was cold. Is it because I wouldn't do your shit podcast? I'm like, wow, that's the internet. <laughs> <laughs> that escalated quickly. <laughs> that did escalate quickly. My, my response was to say, look, dude, if you go around calling other people shitty and they bite, at you, do not be surprised if they call you out on it. That's all. Just don't be surprised. Don't then overreact when you, someone is sort of like fighting. When you say fighting words and somebody punches you in the face, don't pretend like that was a sucker punch. I think that's what it is. You know what I mean? People just have to accept that when you're engaging in Twitter on that level, and you know, that level does generate a lot of, you know, feedback and people participating and it's you know it's a good way to grow twitter really if you want to do it that way I'll tell you the Control. truth i don't really i don't really like 2.0 i was i'm i'm a web 1.0 guy it's the generation i came up in such an old so dude 2.0 conversation thing is uh, i i enjoy dealing with people in certain uh, in certain avenues and aspects but uh, a lot of this 2.0 stuff i don't like it's scary get off my lawn it's just not something that I want to participate in. I mean, I've never been a, a huge forums person, a big comments person. I'm not the kind of person who's going to go onto a random website and leave, and, and leave comments. So, again, I guess it's kind of like with the podcast thing. I just don't really understand it yeah, all but that it, well. Your role is, can be different. Like, for instance, my role is the way I use Twitter is I generally speaking, I mean, there are some people if they try to reach out, I'll communicate. I do use it as a communication tool. But for the most part, it's me putting out information about interesting links, Stuff from the, the you know new articles that I put up on the site. Obviously, anytime the podcast is out and things like that. So I'm more of trying to either give information or disseminate information. So I don't use it to just sort of like have you know mostly random conversation with people or even I don't microblog my thoughts on it. It's so the same way that I, that's not how I use Facebook. I'm not just constantly being like I'm going to the grocery store today. You know why? Because in our business we get enough attention. Okay. It's like choose your level of attention. Everything that's uh, on Facebook for me, Facebook is all work, man. It's all, there's if a if a family member's like, did you catch the thing I post on Facebook? Do not use it as a uh, family shit. There's no no family shit in there, please. Yeah, it's just not that. That's not how a kind of person who does what we do uses that fucking media. It's used very differently. It's just a completely different level when you're a content producer and when you're a content absorber. They're, they can be different worlds. And although while a lot of content creators are also content absorbers, some are not. You know, Some people just like producing their own content and being like, that's it. I'm done. I don't want to do much else, much else. I don't want to watch TV. I don't want to fucking listen to radio. Some people it's like that. I want to watch movies. Whatevs. Well, it's uh, one, of, one of the things that makes the good atheist interesting, like you were talking about how uh, – you know, we express it. We don't put those updates, and we don't we don't go out and do that because we we do these different things, and uh, we do these podcasts, and and through the podcast, the podcasts are extremely personal, true. especially especially uh, the good atheist podcast, which uh, you know there have been times where we've gotten into arguments where I say that it's gotten too personal, and I say that you're 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 bringing too much into it uh, from your own personal life, and for me, I'm I I try to keep things. 
relatively uh, private. And but you're 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 you are an open book, uh, as far as everyone's concerned, and 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 everything that you say on on like, like when you listen to the radio shows, the highs and the lows that, that the good atheist has brought you through, the people have listened and and gone through that with you. Right, which is also which is why it's so really hard to kind of understand what that means because it it'll mean things to different people. Like for some people, they may not have even experienced any of that through the episodes. That you can randomly listen to a bunch and completely and utterly bypass it. It's like watching Law and Order, right? And then every once in a while, for like two minutes, they'll have like a character scene, and you're just like, "Whoa, did you miss that scene? Because something fucking important happened." Next episode, you're like, "Hey, where is this one character? Oh, she died." You know what I mean? It was just so rare, but it would happen. I don't know if it's the same frequency though, because there's probably much more personal stuff. Like that episode where I read out my uh, graduating marks. That's pretty personal. <laughs> but I did it with the intended purpose of saying, like, look, if you think I'm smart, take a look at these notes, okay? And if you have somewhat similar notes, then do not lose hope. Of course, all of this is built on a number of axioms that may completely be false. Like, if the axiom that I am smart is wrong, then uh, then that episode tells you everything you need to know. But, again, you know. <laughs> Proof is in the pudding. Just listen to all of the other shows. The Jello Pudding. Now, the, before we go, I want to talk about what the his, what the future of Good Atheist is, right? So we went through all the lows and downs and then the, you know, ups and blah, blah, blah. And I've already, I think through one of the last episodes is, uh, was pretty heavy on terms of describing my relationship with Carissa and how that went. Because, you know, that was, I've had to move. And so that kind of changed the, our work dynamic anyways. You moved as well. So you're in, you're kind of like in your own space. So there was a, there's a, there's a brief moment where, um, like, it's interspersed because you know, we have a long period of time, probably hundreds of shows, where we were always in, living in the same place. So obviously there's going to be a different dynamic than when we're really far apart. So we've been have to accept, we're like, well, now the show's from now on and all this other dynamic is the far apart dynamic. And that's different because we don't have, you know, we don't have necessarily the same kind of roles or even aspirations or even opinions or as much influence on each other's thoughts, you know? I sometimes wonder, I'm like, what is Ryan reading these days, because I mean, you used to talk about that shit all the time. You'd tell me on a daily basis what the fuck you were reading or what you were watching. Now I have absolutely no idea. Now, since since my Kindle broke, uh, it's mostly just being internet garbage. I uh, I like you know they say reading is dead, and I always I always love it when people say, "Oh, reading is dead." Look, we read on the internet all day, every day. That's like as as advanced and amazing as the internet is it's still just text on the screen that you're fucking processing into your brain and uh rather than sitting around reading books i'm sad to say that i've been eating at those bite-sized articles that are that are generally you know just rehashes of the same old shit yeah i've been uh since my kindle broke and uh, i tried to buy another kindle but i had a uh, a canadian amazon gift card and apparently i can't use one of those to buy me a kindle so i'm i'm kindleless even with store credit, and it's very frustrating. So that free one you got broke too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, it uh, it started not turning on, and uh, it was happening more and more, and then it just stopped turning on forever. Oh, that's brutal. Well, you know, uh, you you have been the recipient to far more gifts than I. So if there's somebody out there that has a really old Kindle, like the one that he uh, was bequeathed before, let it be known, and uh, please, the man uh, without reading. Well, wither away, wither away. You can't let him read all the new stuff. He gets too morose. At least when he reads, he reads more whimsical things. That's probably the one thing that prevents you from being like total depressoid, 
is at least your reading list seems far more whimsical. You criticize me for, you know, my, the seriousness of my reading list. Yeah, well, you you refuse to read fiction, which I think is pretty uh, short-sighted. I just I'm I'm the kind of guy who's like, get to the point, man. I condense yeah, the idea. That, that made that makes no sense. That was just like some weird buzz statement that you made that makes the uh, in fiction. Know, I mean, just, just, just get to the. What are you trying to set to say? What is the synopsis? Let's do this thing. I just want to understand your basic idea, and then the rest of it is just a bunch of character interactions that I don't give a shit about. Here's the thing about stories. I don't care about the people in it. I want to know what the fucking ideas are. Maybe I'll try to remember their names and so on, but usually I don't. I, I am a man who's interested in the themes and the ideas and the broader context of all these things. The little minutia, the, you know, little Betty going and fucking selling the blah, blah, that's boring to me. I don't care. I get, could give less of a shit. That's my problem when I'm reading fiction. It's like I have such a – for me, when I'm reading something, I have the relentless need to get information. And in fiction, it's it's not information rich. It's emotion rich. And I'm like – You just don't have a love for the written word. I don't. No, not in the same way. In a lot of times, I'm reading this, and I have that kind of – I've taken that whole brevity, the soul of wit thing way too far. I'm like, this sentence sounds like you're just trying to really impress me. Say it more simply. But that's just – you know. now I'm just kind of getting a big – big head there but like, let him be artistic if he wants to but again like if being artistic means 30% more words I don't like it it's like let's keep this efficient here there's a lot of shit I need to read one day I'm sure I'll change my mind when I'm less information obsessed maybe then I'll be able to appreciate it in an entirely new way you know the people who have listened to the show have watched me turn from say a young man into full grown man this is an interesting kind of like little step. I mean, you say it's personal. Of course it is. You watched a man grow. That's going to be fucking personal. Like you watched me grow into a young man. I hope nobody out there is feeling maternalistic about that, by the way. <laughs> but if you do want to feel some of that, send your boy some money. Because your son still has not entirely figured out this whole internet thing. It's a constant fucking struggle. It's not like... Hey, your 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 pre-sales of your book was successful. You don't retire now. It's not like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go to the Bahamas. This thing you just you just have to fucking keep on keeping on it, I guess. And in the future, my hope is that we're going to be able to be big enough that I can actually afford to have a staff to do real shows, like actual shows. And uh, I'm going to start real slow about that, obviously. The first thing I'm going to do is uh, try to set up meetings in uh, Calgary, meetups for you know good atheist uh, fans to just uh, come and chill out because eventually I need enough people to show up that I'm going to take this 20 or 30 people that I can hopefully wrangle and then we're going to just try one live show and we're going to see how the fuck that goes. So that's that's my short-term plan. So hopefully that's going to go swimmingly and not like a giant disaster. And if it's a giant disaster, only 20 people will hopefully have seen it. And uh, they'll, they're, they're fans, so they'll be sworn to secrecy. I'm sure it'll be fine. And we haven't we haven't done too many disastrous things, so... No, well, we uh, you know why? Because we just take our time. Other than not recording the last episode 300. Oh, sir. yeah, that was... Oof, man, that was dumb. That was dumb. And from now on, I'm, I'm back to that guy who just sort of like dropped that explosive but miraculously survived... I'm going to try to make sure that doesn't happen again. Of course, you know, it's like a yearly thing. Hopefully if it happens again, it's not a gigantic show. You know, if it's like a 30-minute show, 
it wouldn't have sucked. But it was like a two and a half hour show, man. Uh, my experience, it usually happens uh, when it's a long show, a really good show, or an interview with someone that you don't want to look like an idiot in front of. Well, I did, you know, it's funny. I did have one show where um, Dr. Andy Thompson, I, I've had him on recently. It was a year after I had totally messed up. We had a great interview, and then uh, I managed to wait long enough that he had forgotten that I fucked up, so I could interview him again. It was great. We, uh, we talked about uh, Oswald and uh, the JFK thing, assassination thing. It was fucking awesome. And I was right at the end, I'm like, I wish I was a screenwriter. I wish I knew how to really write for human characters. But as many of you realize, I'm more of an idea man, and the whole human beings within the story could not give more of a shit about. It's like, ugh, I have to include people? Can't they just be like mindless robots that just yap the plot at you? And then you just say, that would be a great story idea. Okay, well, you know, before we go, um, I want to remind everybody that I want the last part of the interview, the big interview thing that I want to do is your questions. Remember when we had mailbags, right? This is like a mailbag that's for the DVD only. So because it's tough for you guys to actually send in your questions, because I think some of you are like, well, I'm not going to buy the DVD, so I don't want to ask you a question. I'll, tell, I'll make you a deal. If you ask a fucking question first, you'll get that episode for free, okay? I'm not going to be a dick about it. You ask the questions, you'll get it. That's fine. And second, I'm going to offer you a prize, a random prize to someone who asks a question. And that prize is a fucking Good Atheist mug with the logo on it. You know, like the Good Atheist Seal of Awesomeness. It looks fucking fantastic. And it is the prize for anyone who goes and who asks a question. I'm going to be putting up a post, be like, boom, submit your questions. And the cool thing is you can ask whatever the fuck you want, right? It's for the bonus show. Ask any questions, anything that you think we haven't covered with the two interviews that you listened to that were really, you know, meta if there's remaining questions, fucking send them in and you could win a cup and, you know, annoy everyone that the fact that you're an atheist when you're drinking your coffee and everyone's fucking fat face. So you want that. And trust me, everyone notices it because it's a big cartoon. I had it at my house and I had a guest over and they noticed like after a second, be like, hey, what the hell? Are you an atheist? It's great. It works really good. So that's the incentive. So you're going to submit your questions, people? Huh? You're going to do it or I'm going to come beat you up? I know where you live. Well generally where you live you know their ip address i know their ip addresses i'll come and get you internetly you know if you also want to support the show go and become a patron it's five dollars a month um and you can be a patron for as long as you want if you only want to be a patron for one month just go there and just fucking be a patron for a month every little bit helps so please that's how we keep doing this thing that's why we have kept doing this thing and maybe we'll do another fucking 300 show and be all like super mad about that one too because Apparently, I made I made that promise originally. I made many shows ago that I was going to do a big deal out of episode 300. And we did it such a big deal, and we did it twice. And one of them is gone forever. You'll never hear it. <laughs> the legendary show that will drive everyone nuts. I mean, like, would you rank that show as better than this show? Uh, I don't know. It's hard to yeah. say. I would say it came close. So if you like this show, you'd be like, man, that sucks. Wish we had both. But no, you only get one. And thank you so much, Ryan, for actually being the sport enough to fucking do it again. I know it's just the worst, the fucking worst to do that. So I'm sure everybody appreciates the fact you took that bullet. Well, next week, let's get back to uh, talking shit about Jesus and stuff. Oh, next week we got so much good stuff. And, well, not the next week because I'm finishing the yeah, DVD. Yeah, 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 but yeah. the week after that, we're going to finally finish part three of the Book of Samuel. That's what we're going to do. 
So it's going to be a fucking fun show. It's going to be like uh, a Bible story, and everybody loves that. So, okay, you're going to have to wait, but the next crack batch that I'm going to give you is going to be even more awesome. So just think about all the good crack you're going to get from just one week of not having crack. Just think forward, people. Just got to think ahead. Crack. I know. Drug references. I love it. All right, with that, my name is Jacob Fortune. And I'm Ryan Harkness. Have a good atheist day, everybody.